1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. And Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Samuel is going to give Saul some important words from God. To thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he set himself against him in the way when he came up out of Egypt. Because remember, the people of Amalek wouldn't let the Hebrews pass through their land, and they tried to fight them instead. 3. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. God is telling Saul to devote Amalek, meaning to kill every single person. The reason God does this is because those people are so wicked that they're more violent themselves than it would be to kill them and wipe them out. And they're also non-repentant. They won't quit their sins, which include child rape, child prostitution, animal rape, and child sacrifice. Those are just some of the things that pagans do. 4. And Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Altogether, they have 200,000 foot soldiers, and 10,000 of those are from the tribe of Judah, which is the royal tribe. 5. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. 6. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. In that sense, Saul was obeying the Lord, because he was only commanded to kill the Amalekites and devote that entire city. He told the Kenites to leave the battle. For their own safety. 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah as thou goest to Shur, that is in front of Egypt, all the way near toward Egypt. 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, even the young of the second birth and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was of no account and feeble, that they utterly destroyed. They didn't devote the city like God told them to, and they didn't kill the king. They're taking the king as a trophy. This is very arrogant, and this is what pagans do. Pagans take kings as trophies. So Saul is acting kind of pagan. And they're deciding that they're going to go ahead and kill what they can't use, but keep what they can use. And this is completely against God's instructions. Samuel had already told Saul, you have to devote the city, but Saul won't do it. 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, 11. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Samuel, he has the heart of a prophet. A prophet always mourns for the people. And a prophet always mourns when somebody, when their soul is lost and they're going to hell. The prophets who we have today don't mourn for the people. They always have a big smile on their face. They want money and they always have good things to say. And they don't mourn over people's sin. They're not sad because people are going to hell. They're only sad if people don't give them enough money. So the prophets of today are very false. 
12, And Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he is setting him up a monument, and is gone about and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. He's setting up his own monument, not a monument to the Lord. Again, it's the act of a narcissist. He wants all the focus to be on himself. And just like all kings who have to pay people to protect them and serve them, that's what Saul is doing. That's why Saul did not devote the city is because he's going to use the animals as payment to his protectors, his courtiers, his servants. He's paying them off so that they will treat him well. That's what kings do. And that's why God didn't want Israel to have an earthly king. He wanted to be their king because God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need us to protect him. But Saul, who wants protection and allegiance, is paying people off. 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Okay, boom. That's a big lie. Saul knows that he didn't devote the city, and now he is lying out of his teeth, claiming that he performed the commandment of the Lord. He absolutely did not do that. 14. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Samuel says, I can hear the animals, and you're trying to tell me that you obeyed the Lord's commandment? Samuel can hear the spoil. Have you noticed a pattern? that almost every time Samuel and Saul have a conversation, Samuel is reprimanding Saul and rebuking him. This is necessary. When you see somebody in sin, you do need to rebuke them for their own good so that they'll realize that they should repent. There was a time in King David's life when he was rebuked by a prophet Nathan, and David repented. But if somebody's heart is tender and you rebuke them, they will repent. That's what rebuke is for. But Saul is so hard that every time Samuel rebukes him, he just gets harder and more stubborn in his ways. He never repents. 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Here's another lie, and this is another thing that narcissists do. They create their own reality. They just think that what they say should be true and therefore is true. And he's setting up this parallel universe where supposedly the people decided on their own to save the sheep and the oxen. And that isn't true. They wouldn't have done it unless Saul allowed them to. He's blaming the people again for their sin. And then he is saying that they were going to sacrifice it to the Lord. Well, they haven't done it yet. And normally, if you're going to sacrifice to the Lord, you sacrifice to the Lord first, not last. So if they haven't done it yet, they weren't going to do it at all. 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. 17. And Samuel said, Though thou be little in thine own sight, art thou not head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Samuel is saying, I have something to tell you. And Saul said, Go ahead and say it. And then Samuel said, Remember when you thought that you were small, when you were shy, because you were from the tribe of Benjamin, and yet the Lord anointed you king over Israel? 18. And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Today, pastors use the word sinners to refer to Christians, saying that we're sinners saved by grace. But the Bible in Old and New Testament, it only uses the word sinners to refer to people who haven't repented. 
while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us on the cross, meaning that he died for us when we were still in sin and unrepentant. But in order to be a Christian, you have to repent. That doesn't mean that a Christian cannot sin, but it means that a Christian is no longer living a lifestyle of sin. But when pastors say sinners saved by grace, it makes people think that you can live a lifestyle of sin and still be a Christian, which isn't true. Walking around saying I'm a sinner saved by grace is actually an oxymoron, and it's not true, because grace is what causes us to stop sinning. 19. Wherefore then didst thou not hearken to the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst that which was evil in the sight of the Lord? 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord, that's a lie, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He is lying so much it's painful to read this. He didn't kill Agag. So that is not the Lord's command. The Lord told him to kill everybody, not to save the king as a trophy. And he's literally saying, Because I saved Agag, I have obeyed the Lord. He's speaking insanity. He's contradicting himself and continuing to believe what he says. 21. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the devoted things, to sacrifice unto the Lord by God in Gilgal. Well, they haven't sacrificed, and it isn't their fault that they took the things because Saul let them do it. He told them to do it. When God confronts us with our sin, lying about it doesn't change anything. We can fool ourselves, our friends, and our neighbors, but we can't fool God. But Saul thinks that he can. He thinks that he can brainwash God into believing his parallel universe story. 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in hearkening to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And this is true. God prefers obedience over sacrifice. No matter how much money we give to the church, we won't be accepted on Judgment Day if we haven't repented of our sins. We can't give the Lord enough sacrifice to cover our sins. It's impossible. The only way to be forgiven is to repent. 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as idolatry and teraphim. Samuel is saying, if you refuse to stop sinning, it's as bad as witchcraft. A lot of people misuse this verse and go into all kinds of wacky rabbit trails with it, but it's simply saying, plain and simple, if you refuse to obey the commandments of the Lord, it's as bad as practicing witchcraft. That's all that Samuel was saying. Witchcraft will cause you to go to hell, but refusing to obey the Lord will also cause you to go to hell. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now Samuel is telling Saul that you are rejected as king. Technically, Saul is still king, but he's going to lose the kingship. 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and hearkened to their voice. Now Saul is finally telling the truth, but he's only doing it in a panic because he wants to get forgiven. He said, I was afraid of the people, therefore I sinned. Well, both of those are sins, because fearing man is also a sin. So it's not an excuse for sin. It's a double sin. Because number one, he didn't obey God. And number two, he feared man instead of God. But Saul thinks that because he was afraid of men, that that excuses him not obeying the Lord. More insanity. This chapter points out how insane people are when they refuse to repent. 
it's a real study in self-deception. 25, now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Saul wants easy forgiveness. He wants forgiveness without repentance. 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Saul wants everything to be set right again, just by a snap of the fingers. And Samuel says, no, that's not going to happen. God has already told you you're rejected, and you won't repent, so it's done. 27, and as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his rope, and it rent. You know, I think Saul, when he was a boy, his parents never corrected him and never said no. Because Saul doesn't understand the concept of being told no. Because when the prophet turned to walk away, Saul grabbed his robe and his robe got torn. How childish. He's so unused to being told no that he tried to physically grab the prophet. 28, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Samuel says, The fact that you just tore my robe is a sign to you that your kingdom has been torn in two, and somebody else is going to take it. Now that will be King David. 29, And also the glory of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Samuel is telling Saul, God will not change his mind because he's God. He doesn't have to change his mind for you. 30, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Look at this. This isn't real repentance. He's saying, Okay, I'll, I'll admit verbally that I've sinned. Now give me back the kingdom. Even though my heart hasn't repented, since I'm saying it, I deserve the kingdom back. Well, no, he doesn't. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Saul is humiliated. He's saying, if you don't come back with me, then I'm going to be really humiliated. They're going to know that God has rejected me. And Saul doesn't want that, because again, he's afraid of his reputation being tarnished. He's more afraid of what people think of him than of what he actually is. And this is a hallmark of narcissists. They want everybody to love and worship them, but they don't want to be worthy of any adoration. 31. So Samuel returned after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. This was just to help Saul save face. 32. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him in chains. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is at hand. That king said, Surely my life is come to an end. 33. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shalt thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Here is the prophet himself slaughtering King Agag. He says, you have cut the bellies of pregnant women and made their children die. So now your mother will be childless and I'm going to kill you now. Because Saul refused to kill King Agag, Samuel did it on behalf of the Lord. 34, then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeoth Shal. They both went home because Samuel lives in Ramah and Saul lives in Gibeoth Shal. 35, and Samuel never beheld Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Repented when it's used with the Lord doesn't mean that God did anything wrong. It doesn't even always mean that God changed his mind. It simply means that God stopped doing what he was doing. He had placed Saul as king, and now he's going to place somebody else as king. And it says that from this day on, Samuel never appeared before Saul again for the rest of Samuel's life.
And Samuel mourned for Saul for the rest of his life because he knows that not only has Saul lost the kingdom, Saul has also lost his own soul. And that concludes 1 Samuel chapter 15.